Dear young African, in the words of C.S. Lewis, you can't go back and change the beginning, but you can start where you are and change the ending. Welcome to Dear Young African with me, Nana Fredia Ajamai. In this podcast, we have only one message for the young African listening. Don't give up. Your excuses are valid, but so are your dreams. And this is the place to come to when you need to remind yourself of that truth. In this podcast, we will be speaking to those Africans who keep going to inspire others to do same. So dear young African, if you're listening, this is for you. Hey podcast family, hope you are doing well. Welcome to another week and another episode. One of the things that we do on this podcast is celebrate the great work that young Africans are doing across the globe. And so as part of that agenda, I wanted to highlight some of the brilliant academic papers that young Africans are writing. You know, if you've ever written an academic paper before, we spend so many hours reading tons and tons of pages and we put it all together, do some great analysis, write some great recommendations. And most of the time, the best we do with such results is just get good grades and pretty much that's it, which is a shame because if you spend so many hours working on something you really hope that it can have some impact at the end of the day so one of the things that i'm trying to do on the podcast now is to highlight the work that young africans are doing through academic research papers and hopefully we get the right people to listen and perhaps it could start a conversation about implementing some of these ideas that young africans are coming up with we know that r d Uh, Research and development is one of the most underfunded fields in Africa, but we have a lot of young Africans also putting out a lot of great papers. And sometimes you just wonder, with all this talent, with all this output, what is happening with all the results that we are getting from these these papers? So this week I'm speaking to Godfrey Amankwa, who is a PhD researcher focusing on issues of water in the global south. His latest paper focuses on something that I'd never heard about called water ATMs. I saw it on his Twitter page and I I took some time to read the paper and it was really interesting. So I thought, hey, why not get him on board to the podcast and have him share what water ATMs are all about. So here's a conversation between myself and Godfred on water ATMs and the impact they're having in the global south. Enjoy. Hi, Godfred. Welcome to the Dear Young African podcast. Yeah, thank you, Nana. Um, it's a pleasure to be here. Uh, it's been a long time. <laughs> very, very, very long time. Um, I think the last time I actually saw you in person, I was at your desk at, at uni. So those of you who are listening, um, Godfred and I attended University of Manchester. Well, he started the University of Manchester finishing his PhD and I left in 2020. Yeah. But yeah, he's he's doing bigger things. So yeah. Uh, I was looking. I was looking at your LinkedIn, just trying to understand what your journey has been. And I realized, so you you started from KNUST. Well, not started from there, but I'm just let's start from KNUST, where you read um, what was it urban geography, uh, yeah. digital geography, environmental science. You know, a couple of things in in the geography department. 
then you know graduated with a first class then from the university of oxford water science policy and management also distinction then now you know doctor of philosophy phd digital development and uh what, what do you call it Deve- development policy and management like can you just talk us through why you've decided that water is your thing <laughs> uh, well i think maybe um i found a niche for water i think mainly um during my undergrad days um so i wanted to do something related to infrastructure real estate um, yeah but um i think i tried my first year internship in uni uh yeah i go ghana water and it was my first time actually um kind of working practically on issues of gis so right. information systems so i was um kind of posted or admitted in the gis department in ghana water in their head office. So those days they used to be a mouthful. So around Kanda area, the Flagstaff area there. Yeah. So yeah, I went there. Um, they were quite surprised because geographer, you should maybe possibly go to population council. But yeah, um, as time went on, yeah, things became good. I fell in love with the whole GIS department. Yeah. Um, so I, I might say that the GIS department has transformed into technology innovation department. So the GIS is now a unit under that department. Right. Those days okay. it was the GIS department. And, and I think that's, that was a breaking, uh, the starting point for me in, on issues of water. Yeah. So I met, um, I was the only kind of geographer or social scientist in the room um, as a small boy, as a young guy. <laughs> <laughs> I think I'm in my second year um, in tech. So yeah. And I, I was in the midst of civil engineers and dramatic engineers. So I was been taken through various um, issues on engineering. I did AutoCAD, GIS uh, stuff. Um, right. Yeah. So that's, I think that's where my love for water grew. And I went there after um, the third year. Yeah. I did internship there again. Then I think the um, final year I didn't, but right after, before my national service, Actually, wanted to do my national service within the company, but right. I think ten years they didn't allow me. They they wanted me back on campus. So, yeah, but I still kept in touch. So that's where my love for water actually grew. Right, and I decided, uh, decided to do um, issues on water, and obviously, water was is, is a main issue in Ghana. Um, growing up in urban Ghana, we know how um, issues of water are on like. Uh, accessibility is mainly a, a challenge on reliability, yeah. and you don't even get water twenty four seven. Sometimes you get water four times a day, a week, and maybe within ten hours is it, also. <laughs> I wanted to look at the nuances, but I think GIS department in Ghana also kind of open me to, for instance, how can we use technical innovations of technology to yeah. help the water challenge. Um, Right. So I was thinking, uh, those days I was thinking, okay, in the Ghana context, how can we do that? But yeah. That's how I we mean, that's, yeah. That's how yeah. Very, very interesting stuff. I mean, we all know, as you said, we, we grew up in Ghana. We know the challenges that we've always faced. But I, I don't think I've met a lot of people who say, you know, I want to go into water and solve the water crisis. So it's very interesting to see that, you know, there are people that actually just want to focus on making uh, accessibility of water uh, something, a challenge that, that can can be um, addressed. Now, looking at your trajectory over the years, you know, now you're doing a PhD that is focusing mainly on, you know, water issues. And 
I wanted to, one of the things we talk about a lot on this podcast is purpose. Do you see, or how do you see, you know, your purpose as, as a PhD researcher now, like in the next few years, is that something that you would say uh, you want to become like a, you know, how people call themselves like a, a food hero uh, champion, like people that are looking at food security, insecurity, and trying to address those issues. Do you see yourself as becoming uh, someone who's, uh, who wants to become a, a water crisis i don't know champion or uh, i'm not sure how we would call such people yeah so wash specialist or something yeah <laughs> yeah i think well um I th- even right after my master's i did um something that's normally not done so i tried to let's say uh, my master's thesis um kind of converted to something practical so mm. i think i i sent back a report um to ghana water company limited on, for instance, what I yeah. found, what can be improved, so recommendations. And I think they are doing some of these things and they've actually even introduced new um, um, areas within the technology sector. So I think, we, um, and mainly I, I call myself an applied uh, researcher because yeah. I, I want to sit in between academia and industry. So for instance, yeah. what impact is my work making? And for instance, um, there's been um, various times that, I've been kind of invited to kind of present and I've seen some of my works have been discussed. Yeah. Um, maybe within the industry um, setting. Um, yeah. So somehow you feel fulfilled uh, within uh, within that context. So in the Absolutely. next years, I, I really want to see um, contributing the policy and for instance, the practical dialogue within that, not just the academia yeah. Uh, uh, issues. Yeah. That's it. Yeah. I'm, I'm so glad you've touched on that because, you know, we see, uh, you know, an influx of papers that come in almost every day from PhD uh, researchers and different researchers as well. And one of the things you always want to ask yourself is like, what is that going to lead to? And I think you've done something that is quite interesting like and you did say you did even acknowledge it the fact that you were able to gather your insights from your master's you know dissertation and send it back to uh, uh the ghana water company to say hey this is what i found it's i don't know if a lot of ghanian students are doing that i certainly did not do that and my ma- <laughs> my master's was on um, the impact of what well, chinese fdi on on sub-saharan africa so i guess i should probably you know go back to my master's thesis and, yeah. and package something to them but yeah I'm glad you you know you actually want to to see that the um the effort you're putting in being applied because what you're doing is very very practical it has the 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 potential to save lives literally speaking so I'm glad you you're doing that now let's let's get into the cracks of the the matter your wonderful paper you, you've written water ATMs and <laughs> access to water uh, digitalization of off grid water infrastructure in peri urban Ghana. You know, it was actually the first time I was hearing anything like water ATM. So that was quite interesting to to hear. I don't know, is that an original term or you crafted it? Yourself? No, no, it's, it's, it's been there just nothing like within, within our sector. So. Oh, okay. Okay. So it's it's your code language for people who do. Yeah, we did. Yeah. <laughs> I get it. Okay. So what inspired you to write this paper though? What? How did you come about um, having to, to research this paper, this, this topic? So I think uh, mainly um, it was... Um, born out from my, I think my master's um, okay. as part of my PhD. So uh, my work has been mainly focused around on-grade um, formal water infrastructure. Yeah, but there's been um, an emerging area within the off-grade bit um, where 
people people tend to call it the informal water sector. Of course, mm. I have, my, I have uh, my reservations about the <laughs> use of the word informality. It's part of my ongoing PAU work, um, just an aspect of it. And within the literature itself, um, there's been mainly focused within, for instance, the digital development or the digital technologies within the formal or the on-grid um, water systems. So we right. want to look at for um, how people who don't have water um, services or pipes in their premises or people who use public stand pipes that are using uh, various uh, technologies or innovations um, how is it impacting their daily lives? But we right. first of all, before we understand the impact of these, we need to understand how these things are being deployed or implemented in this context. So I think the idea mainly came from my PhD when I was looking uh, first uh, was looking at core issues around on grid so, or informal. So yeah. I was like, should I focus on maybe tankers or where can I get um, data to kind of write on issues concerning people? Who, who are not connected to, let's say, um, um, former water infrastructure or, or don't have water in their premises. So that, that's right. where this idea came from. Right. First of all, I, I think it would be helpful for you to explain to listeners what water ATMs actually are so that people uh-huh. can understand the context of, of, of what we're talking about. What are water yeah. ATMs? Good. So um, before you, you, I think you mentioned that ATMs associated with um, banks. You you did mention that um so AT, what, what are ATMs? Automated teller machines, isn't it? Yeah. So in this context, we are using the water sector. So in, in what is water ATM? That's water automated teller machines. Mm. So you are drawing, instead of getting cash, you get water. So that's right. for the basic um, understanding of it. Yeah, it's and, a good one too. <laughs> yeah. um, they are kind of designed to get their water from maybe underground or sometimes poly tanks. Or it depends. They are, they are in various forms. Right. So they can be in the form of standpipes. They can be in the form of uh, kiosks, water kiosks. Okay. Um, yeah. So they, they, they exist in various forms. And they can actually be operated, maybe coin operated or smart card operated. So right. our issue is mainly the digital aspect, which is the smart card op- operated and aspect of it. And in, in terms of um, my work, I was looking at digital standpipes. So for instance, standpipe that get their water from underground, um, using so these this water it it is it, treated um, underground yeah. or okay. using reverse osmosis or others yeah of course we we'll talk about that maybe later yeah <laughs> and it is supplied through um, these standpipes or right. water kiosks and for you to get water um, you need to use a card but you, the card is not um, just a card per se so those are smart cards. For instance, you know how mobile money operates in in our context. So you yeah. you top up um, the card using mobile money. Yeah, and the, I think it has um, various systems where you just place a card and you get the water. And I think in twenty twenty, um, there was this news going around in Ghana that um, Ghana set up its first um, digital whatever what's it <laughs> yeah blah, blah, blah. yeah but of course that was that was not true. That, what has ATMs have been there? Um, right. For us, my work, they, they did that since 2018. Yes. Yeah, so, right. Yeah, so you I mentioned in the paper. Yeah, there. I read that. Yeah. So ba- basically, water ATM is drawing water from an ATM in, in the sense. So yeah. the ATM is a form of um, a standpipe or um, a kiosk. Yeah, right. But with water, treated water. Right. So just for the sake of background, your paper is based on the work of Safe Water Network which is a non-profit organization 
dedicated to developing and implementing small financially viable water initiatives. In this case, in Ghana, specifically a community called Yaokwe, can you just tell us a bit of their work in Yaokwe and also a little background to your paper? So I think what Save Water Network did, uh, we would say they did a good job. Um, so they already had these their water um, um, systems available in the community. So what they just did was just add an, a digital component to it. Um, just going to a community to set up a whole new um, digital water system. Infrastructure, yeah. Yeah, so it kind of sets um, within the realities of the people. So, mm -hmm. so for instance, uh, I think within the paper, we, we, we tend to talk about the viability and the sustainability of this because yeah. it kind of, um, sat within the institutional setup as well as the everyday um, practices or occurrence within the community. Uh, but... What we uh, found interesting uh, was the fact that within th there's been issues around um, water usage. So we compared to maybe pre-digital times, yeah, and to um, be more water used um, from the, for instance, the various stamp pipes, yeah. And yes, we were asking what what's really the issue because has it been that people have stopped using maybe stamp pipes? But we kind of explain it in terms of um, issues around um, this um, water spillage. Unlike those days that you have a caretaker there, yeah. you have monitors, you give a 20 press Once your bucket is not full, you are not living there. <laughs> but once it's your card, every spillage goes against you. Right. And another issue, core issues about non-revenue water. So in the water context, we define non-revenue water as water that's not paid for yeah. or lost through spillages. Um, so for instance... Maybe people um, were not paying for uh, maybe water per se, maybe borrowing others. Yeah, but yeah. that didn't really come out clearly. But the thing is, what we, we try to make is um, digital has helped in monitoring um, these water. So yeah. we need um, Save Water Network. They are able to monitor water, their daily water that has been produced and get yeah. revenue from that. So that's... that's it reduces it. water corruption. Yeah. <laughs> yeah so... We, we found we, we found that very interesting. Yeah, um, it was interesting, but to some people they might find it obvious. Uh, but I, one of the things that I found that was quite interesting was around you know how it's leading to loss of certain jobs, like people who initially would mm -hmm. be the standpipe operators would you know literally be there and say, okay, mm -hmm. you've paid twenty pesos or one CD. This is how much you get to fetch. But if people have their cards now then mm. it takes away that middle person. Yes. And and in the paper, you talk about how most of these people are usually women, if I'm not mistaken. Mm. So what, I mean, Yaokwe in, in your paper, I think you said it's about 3,000 people in, in yeah. that live in Yaokwe. Do you think this has like significant unemployment impacts if, you know, deployed across the country? Do you know, do you perceive that this could really um, hurt people in, in, you know, in economic sense? For the significance, I can't really. Um, you can, yeah, yeah. But I think it, it has it has um, a bit of is 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 important because um what we I think prior to digitalization, most most of these standby have been um, taken care of by vendors. So yeah. there's there's a, there's a community operator who who is studying at post because like, she's yeah. of so many things. Um, she's like the safe water rep within the community. But right. yeah. But they were vendors that were kind of employed. Mainly they were women um, who tend to be at these standpipes. But the thing is, so 
they'll give you a volume of water, then you sell, then you get like 20% of it. Yeah, but we, what we found was um, at the time of our study, just one person was left because mm. the work was no longer lucrative because mm. people couldn't come with their cards. Yes. And I think it became non-profitable uh, in, in this regard. So people will rather... They moved on. Yeah. yeah. Go do other um, jobs or, say, or do other things. Right. And necessarily um, sitting as, as water vendors. Right. in this regard of course it has implications so the issues around women uh, labor within yeah. and the water sector is a whole different conversation so yeah. women are mainly people who kind of take care of being caretakers vendors yeah. water kills and stuff yeah but we kind of we found it interesting in this regard that um there have been a kind of marginal disruption to the labor market for instance um for women in, in this regard. But in terms of the significance across the country, um, I can't, for, for Save Water Network, I can't really say because I think they've not, it's, it's not all the water stations that they've digitized. Okay. Yeah, it's, so it's across certain, but of course it will have um, impact um, within some of those communities that they've introduced their water ATMs. And right. obviously across Africa, um, if, if you're exactly. looking at the context, of course, then, uh, people are losing jobs because um, people, that's a source of income, the additional source of income in, in exactly. cities, especially peri-urban and rural areas. Uh, exactly. Yeah. So it has, you, it, has, it has significance, yeah. Yeah. Let's talk about some of the interesting insights that came out from this paper. So it's reason, reading things around um, user perception, which I was quite interested in because anytime you hear anything around technology and something being implemented, especially in um, the global south, remote areas, there's always that caution of how can people get used to this? There's that assumption that people are not going to get used to it. They're not going to take it on board, especially if there are other options available that make their life easier. And there's also that perception that th technology always comes with an increased cost of, of you know, provision, right? So talking about user perception, uh, one of the things that you said was when asked, water users did report the benefits of reliability and flexibility and the consequent reduced stress of fetching water. However, it was cost-related issues that dominated. You know, just talk uh, talk us through that a bit. Oh uh, yeah, so I think mainly the use the end users have should be the beneficiary of all these innovations. Yeah, and I think we first of all we use some theories where we try to look at, for instance, everyday practices. So how do you engage with water ACMs? And some of those things came up. For instance, cost. Um, so they yeah. have perception about cost. Yeah. So um, before that, we should put a context for. It. We did this work in, in Peria, Bangana, so a community yeah. called Yakwe, which is um, around Konongo in Ashanti region. And within that community, there's kind of heterogeneous water infrastructure. So mm -hmm. when I what I mean by heterogeneous water infrastructure, like um, there are various water systems. So that exists. Okay. There are communities um, or there are households that have pipes. Um, yeah. Within premises there are those that use this water atms um and there are those that there are other um other vendors so yeah there are stamp pipes that are not kind of automated right uh, in this regard so we wanted to understand um for instance from, from a water security point of view so one of the indicators of water insecurity is around affordance ability yeah um, which kind of increase to cost per se um, so within this indicator, we try to find out, we try to compare with other um, off-grid water sources. So in this case, 
we are looking at um, the other water vendors. And I must also add that they also have community boreholes. Yeah. Um, the, yes, the man-powered boreholes that you have to kind of uh, pump. So we, we wanted to understand that. And interesting enough, um, these respondents were telling us about how we must add that there, there were no changes. Um, there were no much differences in prices. So, mm -hmm. You did mention. Yeah, so Save Water Network, then um, they actually, when they implemented digital aspects, uh, technology on their standpipe, they did increase their price. So within the, within the community, you have about 10 pesos for a 20 liter, or yeah. let's say 20, um, 20 pesos for a 40 liter. Yeah. And it's the same price for the other water vendors, except the bowl, the community boreholes, because of you have to use your like your, your strength to pump yeah. water, <laughs> yeah, which is less. Yeah, but what we found was their arguments about the cost were mainly in terms of the amount or the uh, the total volume of water that has been um, that they get from chopping up or using, for instance, when you use your car to of twenty pesos to yeah. your uh, forty liter um, bucket. Yeah. It's, it's less, they get less water, less volume of water. Yeah. For instance, when you use one, one CD, yeah, so that's this what came up. So when you... Yeah, use, this is in comparison to other sources you, yes, you're talking about. Yeah. For yeah. Because we wanted to understand issues around affordability, which exactly. is like an indicator of water security. So there are various indicators of water security. Yeah, yeah reliability, quality, um, affordability. That's one of the wanted yeah. to understand that. And... What came up was the fact that they instead of maybe topping up a one CD top up on your card, instead of getting five, you tend to get four. Mm. Not the same for the other water vendors, right? Why? Because within that, it's twenty pesos, and it's somebody mm -hmm. there, so you just go. And once it's not up to five, you've not gone five times on your bucket. <laughs> Money is not finished. But this, this, uh, this is a stamp pipe um, where it is automated. So, yeah. for instance, once you are drawing your water and there's a spillage, it goes against you. It goes against you, right, right. It goes against you. So, mainly, those were the concerns. That, yeah. And they tend to make it, um, emphasize the point that maybe, um, maybe these people have increased their costs. Mm -hmm. Because normally, you're supposed to get five, um, yeah. maybe 40 liters. Um, but they tend to get four in comparison. Person, to yeah. Yeah, to the other water vendors, uh, which we, we we found it very interesting. It kind of um, brought into light some of these um, uh, nuances around um, issues around technology, yeah, cost uh, uh, issues, yeah, uh, which we thought was interesting. Yeah, absolutely, and I think it is fair for people who in peri urban urban places, you know. Every CD counts, you know, Very. every CD counts. So if, if you tell someone that for one CD, they can get five buckets of water and, and another place they can get four, I think the technology thrives on being, um, making sure that people are so perfect that they do not spill. Not at all. And, and all of that. So which can go against, uh, uh, go against users. In terms of um, how popular these water ATMs are, um, in your research, did you did you come across you know figures that you can sort of share with us in terms of how popular they are? I know they are they, they are done in different countries like India, and you mentioned in your paper like Kenya as well, if I remember correctly. Yeah. But in terms of let's talk Ghana, that we can move uh in out outside of Ghana a bit. How popular are these in in different parts of of Ghana apart from Yaokoi? Yeah, I think we don't we don't really have exact exact figures yeah. globally. Even in Africa, we don't have exact figures. Yeah. Ghana, we don't. 
Uh, <laughs> but yeah, like, prior reading consultations, uh, I know that it's not only um, Save Water Network that's um, doing that. Even um, there are other emerging um, uh, providers. Um, I think I think Ground Force also they are working okay. with the community water and sanitation to introduce um, these um, water ATMs. Right. Um, within uh, rural areas, uh, rural communities, or very urban communities, and Save Water is also also doing that. And yeah. I think there's been a third party around um, e water services. They used to okay. pay um, that are supporting um, some some of these service providers to uh, introduce water ATS. Of course, I think it's kind of still emerging. Yeah. In, yeah. In, but with the, I think in terms of um, data. Um, as to it's, where we don't we don't really have and it's called it's, it's a very new area so yeah you did mention you did yeah, mention yes we don't have global data but what we know is mainly is that people are starting it as as a new um system or an or to improve an already system yes. right people are starting to kind of um adapt these because it's not only useful for maybe this user but obviously for the service provider themselves because it gives them that monitoring as well as the operational uh, oversight. Right, which is very, very important. Just talking about water ATMs outside of Ghana, like I mentioned before, you you, you had in your paper in places like India, I think Kenya as well. Do you find that there are certain differences in impact uh, across uh, these countries? Um, I ask that mainly because you say that Safe Water Network, which you looked at, is only uh, complementing what already exists. They're not necessarily building infrastructure from the ground. Uh, say, you know, like necessarily building these standpipes from the ground and automating them. They are just automating what already exists. So uh, is that the same model that they're using across different countries? And also in terms of, of the impact of water ATMs, are they the same across? Do you find any differences between, you know, Ghana and other countries that, you know, they're used in? Yeah, I think, yeah, they, they are actually. Um, so um, I think in India, there's, there's, there's been whole uh, talk about pop-up infrastructure. So water ATM has pop-up infrastructure. So within just um, some years of operation, it just dies off. Okay. Uh, but of course, I think Save Water Network, well, for, for the case of Yakwe was, was more about um, incrementalism, which we did mention yeah. in the paper. So they, they tried to use um, what they already have and say, okay, let's introduce a digital aspect to it. Yeah. And we, we find it interesting because um, there's been this whole argument around um, digital um, technologies dying off, for instance, within the global South context. The sustainability is always an issue. Um, but the, the major difference is that in the case of Ghana, or in the case of our work, was the sustainability, which kind of um, not really that, um, talked about, or that's not really the case of in, in places like India and right. even Kenya. Yes, because I think in Kenya, um, there's been issues, there's been work done by uh, other colleagues, um, uh, that some of these um, um, the water kiosks, automated water kiosks has been abandoned or they're right. not functional. But we, it was rather interesting that all our standbys, all the standbys within Yaku were still functional, very much. Mm. Since 2018, that, you see? Yes, yeah, since 2018. Four years, uh, a digital system to work in, that's impressive. Yeah. Impressive. What, what accounts for that? Did you find anything that accounts for yeah, that? I think what accounts for it is the, the incrementalism. Right. Because the thing is, you kind of virtually introduce it within a system, an institutional system that's already known, that's already taken place. 
and you kind of people every day how they want as and when they want this in their everyday realities you kind of um took all these things into consideration and just say okay let's add a data component to it which we found interesting unlike places like india where there's been the arguments around water ATMs has pop up infrastructure so just pop up within some time and, and they are gone. they're gone yes right because there's nobody kind of maintain some of these things they are established by ngo and for instance the maintenance is is is, is a case just yeah. like um, normal pump, um, um, hand pumps maybe within. So there's been um, arguments around hand pumps within um, rural Africa or uh, <clears throat> in rural Africa, <clears throat> the sustainability of community managed uh, hand pumps because you don't have money to manage them. <clears throat> right. But in, in this case, we are talking about digital. And yeah. it's always a case of sustaining um, digital technologies within global South context. Right. Um, because they come... And within some years, they are gone. But this has been operational for a long, long time. Just because they decided to stick with what the people really wanted, what's going on, their institutional setup. And mm. even introduce other access within their system is still ongoing in, in this regard, which we found very interesting. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. And in terms of the benefits, right, for both water providers and mm. water users, you know, for water users... Accessibility is very important. You know, cost of it is also very important. And it seems like if they have already existing structures that, you know, can give them water at an affordable cost at, uh, you know, at also very accessible, even though sometimes they have to wait longer. I think you mentioned in your paper that you, I think you should have caveat, but you mentioned that it takes about 29 minutes and for yeah. water ATMs, it takes about 15 minutes, right? But it seemed that people really did not care about how long they had to wait as long as it was cheap, right? So what really is the benefit? It seems to me that the benefits are more skewed towards water providers in terms of their ability to monitor data and you know get you know um data that they can use you know for for future work which is really important but for the user okay what really is the clear benefit what is the the net gain for for the user here yeah i think with with, within the work we did acknowledge that um there's a benefit in terms of convenience um Mm. accessibility so the division of accessibility uh it's not just only the distance per se um so you know Water ATM um, introduced a system where there's kind of disintermediation. Um, for instance, you don't really need um, a vendor. So prior to some of these issues, you have to wait for maybe a caretaker. So for instance, if Nana, you are the person who mans a water kiosk and you decide not to come to work today, I, yeah. can access, I can't access water. I have to maybe yeah. come to your house and chase you or something. <laughs> but with yeah. my water ATM, once I have a top up, whether you are there or not, I can't. And so it, it gives you that convenience. And another interesting issue is around um, doing other works. So you are able to go to work or maybe go to your farm. And for instance, if it's your uh, daughter who is supposed to fetch water, she's supposed mm-hmm. to go to school. Then after that, she'll come and fetch this water because you don't really need, um, you don't have a vendor there who's who, who determines when you're supposed to come and fetch this fetch water. Fetch a lot. Yeah. So I think that's, some of those benefits for for users per se, yeah, and yeah, and I think th- those things are interesting as well because you don't really need um, a vendor, and it gives you the opportunity to undertake other activities. For instance, yeah. you can go to the market if you're a trader um, in in this regard, which is which is which is great, and it's very very beneficial as well. Yeah, great. But I th- I think the the problem is here is 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 that the perceived benefits that 
those who implement these these water ATMs think are there for users is not what users actually think is beneficial to them. You know, maybe they, they may not acknowledge it as much, but you know, I think that if you were to rank in terms of scale of preference, you know, what what is what what do users prioritize? I think cost will certainly be at the top of that list. What do you think? Uh, cost and accessibility per se. So the thing is, so isn't it funny how they complain about the cost and still access this water? Yeah. <laughs> That's what we said. Perception is key here. Yeah, yeah. I agree. But the others are kind of qualitative um, um, benefits that were kind of really evident within the work. So for yeah. instance, convenience and I must also state that we interview people or spoke to people um, at water stations and at yeah. home. Yeah. Okay. So th- those are the issues because you are fetching water and we are asking you or something or you are coming to fetch the water. We accompany you on your trip. Yeah. So we are still using it. So accessibility is key because the issue around you having the flexibility of doing uh, one or two things or doing your own work is, is was really uh, uh, essential. Or was yeah, really absolutely. Important. So in terms of the ranking, I I can't really rank. I, I, won't, I won't hold you to it, don't worry. <laughs> <laughs> I will not hold you to I it. I don't really want to rank. Because, yeah. <laughs> I yeah, think but... it would be an interesting thing to look at. I, my, my hypothesis is that cost would definitely rank. Yeah, of course. Um, if you are coming from a background of economics, from a background of economics, that's really interesting. Of course, cost is key, uh, which I think we, we did emphasize that very much. Yeah, Absolutely. but the thing is, I must say that our work was not looking at maybe benefits or disbenefits. Mm, we were looking right. at impact. impact so yeah. if you look within the work, we reported almost everything mm. that concerned issues around uh, impact and how water HTM is changing the whole landscape of off-grid water infrastructure. Yeah. Um, yeah. So it gives you, because we didn't want to, I think the, the gap is always around people. Okay, let's look at uh, the problems or the disbenefits of something. Yeah. yeah. But we are trying to look then, after that, we can have that conversation of, for instance, what you're saying. So what do we rank? And for instance, issues of costs or affordability has come up. So how do we kind of tackle that? Yeah, yeah, yeah I agree. I agree. Yeah. Um, in terms of moving forward, what do you do? What do you want to do with this paper? You know, we spoke about how early on um, you, you talk about how your your master's was, you know, given back to GWC, Ghana Water Company. They looked into it. They're implementing some of, of those things that you, you'd written. What do you want to do with this paper going forward? Let me also say that um, this paper was also a build up to one of my earlier papers last year. Yeah. Takes out water innovations across um, global South cities, which I did a presentation to the GSMA um, Digital Utility Unit in the UK. Um, right. as well as um, water incentive uh, for the pump wall. Yeah, so um, going forward, um, I think the next couple of weeks, if not next week, um, I'm doing like a, um, opinion pieces, an opinion piece on some of these things for blogs. Um, so I'll be doing right. one ICT for development blog for GDI. Um, so because it's part of a larger work of my PhD, um, the idea is, Obviously, when I'm done with my PhD, I'm going back to my collaborators. Um, so, Save Water Network, GSMA, yeah. Water. So, one of my case, cases, of, you should watch out, uh, is on Ghana Water. And it's right. just, <laughs> I must say, yeah, let me, yeah. Um, to kind of, we want to kind of um, send back some of these um, findings and talk to kind of discuss with the people involved, um, the Ministry of um, Sanitation Water Resources. Water, yeah. yeah. 
So um, there'll be various avenues um, to do that. We are kind of drawing that um, plan because um, it was part of the main thing. Um, so when we are designing the PAD, um, for my work, uh, we, it was the applied benefit of it was to yeah. kind of send it back to the people because we just don't want you to um, sit there or you publish it. Yeah, yeah for the sake of it, I've published yeah, so a paper. We, we have a plan where uh, we kind of um, get all these people um, that we collaborated with involved and the stakeholders yeah, as well as possibly... Yeah, who know? Maybe we might be speaking to the World Bank on this. Some of these. Things. Hey, yeah. I'm looking forward to it. Eh? The World Bank supports um <laughs> some of these digital innovations as well, and of course, so we have we have a plan out there uh, line out. But for the meantime, um, in the next week or so, yeah, you should be expecting an opinion piece uh, so on on that in promoting the work, uh, not just for a Ghanaian audience but globally, uh, which is very very important. Yeah. And finally, something probably on the. Not on the lighter side. I, I, I was going to say on the lighter side, but I think it's, it's quite a heavy question. Uh, if you were Minister of Water and, and Sanitation Works in, in Ghana, <laughs> um, I, my question to you is, um, can you highlight some, some of the issues that you think you know, should be addressed currently and uh, how you, you would approach it? Water and sanitation. Okay, so that. <laughs> okay, let's let's and let's just keep it to water. Resources. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah of course. I am a I am I I I'm a wash person, so of course. I actually did medical geography, so I also I studied really hygiene as well. Um, what will I do? Yes, that's that's a whole consultancy work. <laughs> <laughs> Don't play diplomatic with me. <laughs> whole consultancy is a whole consultancy uh, question. Give give us I... a, a preview of of uh. Get, this is your first interview as um uh you know being vetted as as someone who wants to be minister one day. So, <laughs> like, sorry, what yeah, was that? Yeah, what would you do differently? Yeah, of course. Basically, for me, I have to do first of all audit. Um, mm. So auditing. Um, I think um we tend to get, um, of course, um, the wash sector is um, mainly underfunded, but I should also acknowledge the fact that we get to my donor funds as to whether these things are really um, um, being um, put to get your use. So the first thing to do is like auditing. And of course, within, after that, um, of course, what comes out, you cannot look at the next level, but there's an area of very much concern to me in terms of uh, low income areas mm. or people who don't have um, um, access to water or even sanitation sources. I think um, various uh, units uh, within Ghana are doing that. So there's a low income support unit right. in no water. Um, I'm happy that now it's not a department from what I, ha- I hear. And um, they are doing amazing work. And so one of my key highlight or my key um, areas of interest uh, will be working with um, some of these units to kind of expand it. Uh, for instance, how do we improve access to uh, uh, um, water sources to some of these um, low-income areas? Yeah. And also working with um, other uh, donor agencies to kind of have targeted approaches. For instance, um, there's these whole arguments about the non-sustainability or sustainability of <laughs> pumps. There's, there's, there have been um, technologies or various innovative ways in which you can help sustain. So yeah. there's, there's this fund fix model, um, kind of um, pioneered by um, Rob Hope and Co., yeah, Professor Rob Hope reading Oxford. So they have sensors within, um, uh, installed within hand pumps that uh, sends messages in terms of when there's a breakdown. So okay. It's wow. on a timely basis. So, of course, the idea is to, uh, of, 
people having um, <laughs> water within their premises is great, but for the meantime, let's see how we are able to kind of produce um also give water to people um, right. even easy water sense. So kind of um kind of introducing this a bit of sensors or technologies, not just the sophisticated of them, the simplest of technologies in Ghana. Um, are you sure? Can I ask you a question? Are you sure everybody um, within Ghana will have uh, water in their premises by 2025? By 2025, I, yeah. I doubt that. Well, on the, the national uh, Ghana water policy, is saying that they want to <laughs> improve access by 2025. That's their target. Of course, they're yeah. not that policy, which I think is one of the, of, I didn't add that. I think that's one of the first thing I would do. Of, I think there are talks to kind of help uh, revise that. But of course, um, it's, it's a bit slow. So even yeah. become a minister, that's the first thing I'll do. This, I, I mean, I agree because I think these numbers of, you know, reaching certain goals by certain years is fine. But I usually want to look at the, the nuances of it. Like, what plan do you actually have in place to get to 2025? Good. You know, which which is really, really important. And so, what is feasible. That's what, what is actually feasible. Yeah, yeah, what is actually feasible. Thank you so much, Godfrey. I think we, should, we probably need a part two to talk about um, other issues that focus on mainly water policy in Ghana. And you know, you can in Africa, in Africa, eh? and uh, you you can give us the nuances when it comes to that. But I've really, really enjoyed this conversation. I hope that any water enthusiast or any person who's really interested in development realizes the urgency of you know dealing with water because you know we always say water is life, but I don't think we actually understand how critical some of these things are like the water you you drink water every day almost every day and um yeah it's it's people like you who are making sure that the impact is is actually uh moved from paper to to from policy into 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 you know practicality which is really really important so thank you for the work that you do fred yeah thank you very much for having me and and thank you for uh reading my paper too (laughs) 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 yeah i I always yeah so the thing is normally as as a researcher you always want uh, feedback on your work and i'm happy if anybody has uh one or two issues um, yeah can be a critique that's fine absolutely yeah Uh, but thanks for having this conversation with me great 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 talking to you and yeah thank you very much Hey, thank you so much for staying till the end of this episode. If you enjoyed this episode, I would love for you to do two things. First, please subscribe to the podcast on whatever platform you're listening to this on. And two, please share this with another friend and say, hey, I was listening to this podcast and I thought you would like it too. Or you can just drop it in that WhatsApp group you're part of. I really appreciate your help in getting this podcast to other individuals to listen as well. If you're not following us on social media, please make sure you do that. At Dear Young African, don't forget African with a K on Facebook and Instagram. Thank you and see you next week Monday with another conversation that will certainly add value to your life.